1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 50 through 58. You probably remember on Easter Sunday, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, the beginning of the chapter about Jesus' resurrection. And so today we are coming back and looking at the end of the chapter about our resurrection. So exciting stuff today. Here we go in the Word. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now a very important word, therefore. Okay, Notice that word in verse 58. It's signaling to us the implications of what we just read, the application of what we just read. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the resurrection of our King Jesus. We thank you, Father, that someday we will raise. Uh, Our bodies will be raised from the dead. Our bodies will be transformed to become like Christ's glorious body. And Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, put it in us to be steadfast and immovable, uh, put it in us to abound in the work of the Lord. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember from the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, we talked about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is an exciting thing because Jesus comes to earth. He puts on human flesh. He lives a perfect life. He dies a substitutionary death for you in your place because of your sins to pay your penalty for the wrath of God upon you. Jesus takes all that upon himself. He dives into your grave, into your death, into the wrath of God for you. And then because Jesus is unstoppable, amen, good, good thing to remember about Jesus. You can't stop him. He's unstoppable. Because Jesus is unstoppable, he comes out through death, through the judgment of God, through the grave. And on the third day, he rises from the dead, ascends into heaven. He's at the right hand of the throne of God, initiating and bringing in the kingdom of God that will reign forever and ever. Now, if If you are a believer, okay, if you have put your faith in Christ, you've turned away from your sins, then you are tethered to Jesus. The Bible calls that union with Christ. You're joined to him. And so the exciting thing about that is that when you die, Jesus' own resurrection pulls you through to the other side, to the kingdom of God, okay? And so that's the basic premise of the resurrection is that because Christ is raised, then all believers will be raised as well and will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But here's what Paul's telling us in verse 50. Verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so there's this kingdom of God that's that's awaiting us, this new heavens and new earth where everything will be transformed, everything will be new, we'll live in 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 um, in a beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ as our visible king, okay? And what Paul is saying in verse 50 is that these old bodies, this bag of bones, it's it's not gonna cut it. <laughs> 
for the new heavens and the new earth, okay? I mean, it, yeah, praise the Lord. That's right. I mean, it's just not going to be suitable for what we're going to be doing. It's not going to be able to keep up with the, the glory that's going to be there. It's not going to be able to fit in with the righteousness that's going to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth, okay? It'd be like going skydiving and having as your parachute the napkin you had for lunch and four strings on it, all right? It's just completely unsuitable, completely um, not, not, not fit for what is to come. It'd be like going to Breckenridge Ski Resort and having two popsicle sticks, okay? You're, you're not going to be able to enjoy skiing standing on two popsicle sticks. It's that you don't have what it takes to be able to enjoy that element, okay? In the same way, what Paul is saying here is that flesh and blood, our, our physical bodies, they are not capable of enjoying and of living in the new heavens and the new earth. They're not, they're not going to make it. Part of the reason why is because God tells us that the new heavens and the new earth, they are fundamentally different from what we have now experienced in this life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 tells us, let me read verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, here it is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now verse 4, to an inheritance. Okay, there's your inheritance. What's your inheritance like? Three words here. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You see, nothing else in this life fits those three categories. Okay, Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Everything else that we know of in this life does not meet those categories. It is perishable, it fades, it loses its luster, it breaks down, it becomes a pain after a while. I mean, that's the way everything in this life is. You buy something, it satisfies for a little bit, but eventually it doesn't. Eventually it doesn't do what we want it to do. It doesn't act like we want it to act. Everything in this life is perishable. Everything in this life is defiled. Everything in this life is fading. It doesn't satisfy like it used to. It doesn't do what, what, what it's supposed to do, okay? But in the new heavens and the new earth, everything is, is going to be completely different, okay? Nothing will be fading. I love that concept that, that nothing will lose its, its satisfying nature. Nothing will lose its glorious nature. It will be glorious for all eternity. It will be satisfying forever and ever, day after day, endless day. And so what Paul is saying is our bodies are just not fit for that kind of kingdom. I mean, can you imagine having the glories of, of the new heavens and the new earth, having all this to explore and being stuck in your mansion because, you know, you got pain in your back and pain in your legs and your, your asthma. You know, you go to the fridge, you know, <gasps> you know, can't get out into the new heavens and the new earth. No, that's not going to cut it. I mean, can you imagine being, being there in the worship service of the glorious King of kings, of, of God the Father being there and, and everybody just being thrilled and, and, and you're over there racked with pain or you're even worse. You're over there kind of angry and jealous that Fred's got a bigger mansion than you, you know, because you're, you're still in the old body. I mean, no, that won't cut it. Okay, you need a body that is fundamentally different. And so in verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Changed. That's what's coming for you. A fundamental change in who you are. Now notice that Paul says not, not everybody will sleep. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about death. Okay? 
You see, death is so fundamentally different for a believer that Paul refuses to use the word death. He, he just kind of rebels. He's like, I'm not even going to call uh, what, what happens to a believer when they die. I'm not going to call it death. because it, It's more like sleep, okay? Because the, the characteristics of death, such as separation, uh, such as um, uh, the absence of life, okay? Those don't apply to a believer. When a believer dies, he's not separated. He's actually in the presence of Jesus. He, he's, he, he has more fellowship than he's ever had. When a believer dies, it's not the end of life. It's the beginning of life, okay? So, so Paul says those who sleep. He says not everybody's going to die physically, okay? Some people will. Um, and, and those people, what, what's going to happen to them until the resurrection? Well, their soul goes to be with God. How do I know that? Well, let me give you a, a verse for that. Philippians chapter 1. There's several of them. We'll just look at one. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, I'm able to, if, I, if I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Uh, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Okay, what does he say? If I depart this life, where am I? I am with Christ. Okay? And so, so the Bible, what the Bible teaches is that when a believer dies, someone who is joined to Jesus Christ, we did Lizzie Bynes' funeral on Monday. Lizzie was a great saint of the Lord. I'm very convinced she is a believer. And, and when she died on, on uh, last week and we had her funeral on Monday, we put her body in the ground. Lizzie is not in the ground. Lizzie's soul is with Jesus. Okay? It's, her soul is with Jesus. Her body is in the ground. Okay? However, it's not good enough that her soul is with Jesus, there is more to come. That almost sounds sinful, doesn't it? I said that in the first service. I was like, ooh, that's kind of bad to say, you know, that it's not good enough that her soul's with Jesus. But that's what the Bible's saying, okay? Let me, let me give you an example. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, For we know, we're going we're gonna to camp out here, by the way, so if you want to get there in your Bible, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this passage. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. says, For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home, is destroyed. Now notice, notice the imagery Paul uses here. He calls your, your physical body now a tent. Why does he call it a tent? Because you don't live permanently in a tent. Nobody buys a lot over in South Fork and sets up their Coleman tent, okay? Um, you, you don't do that, right? It's not a permanent home. What you do with your tent is you take it to Bowling Springs or to Fort Supply or to Colorado and you stay in it for a few days and then, then you go back to your permanent dwelling. So, so he calls our physical body a tent because it's not, it's not our permanent home, okay? This is just for a time. Okay, so he says, we know that if our tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed. So if we die, he says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, you might be thinking, well, God's talking about my mansion. where I'm going. No, he's talking about actually your new body. Okay, he says, for in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Okay, now some of you can really identify with that whole groaning in your present tent, right? Um, that happens, doesn't it? You know why we groan in our present tent? Because it's falling apart, right? It's doing things it should not do. It is not doing things that it should do, okay? It, it's, just, it's just coming apart. Bad things are happening. You know, the, old, the older you get, that's what happens. Your, your, your body begins to just fall apart. I was telling the other services, I've got this thing happening to me. I think I'm going to go with it, actually. I've, I've kind of debated about what to do with it. But, you know, my hairline's kind of getting further and further back. But I've got these kind of rebel hairs, and they come right out of my forehead. I think I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a uno, uno hair, you know. And it's gonna, maybe I, if I get a couple of them, I'll weave them together and moose them straight out like that, you know. <laughs> but what it's a sign of is that 
the body's not doing what it's supposed to do, right? I mean, and that's magnified in a million different ways, isn't it? Uh, Especially even in the spiritual dimension. We are bent the wrong way. How many of you are sick and tired of of, of living in in the old flesh, you know? Having to battle day after day the sinful tendencies of our own flesh. Anger and lust and pride and laziness and apathy and self-pity and all of that stuff that dwells within the old flesh. And and, and so so Paul is telling us we, we, we were tired of that. We groan. We long to put on our heavenly dwelling. But notice verse 3. He says, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we, we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed. Okay. Now, what's the image there? The image there is when someone dies. So, okay, let's just use Lizzie as an example. She would love for us to use her. I know she's with Jesus now. So she, she would be glad that we're thinking about her. So Lizzie dies. Um, right now, her soul goes to be with Jesus. Okay. But her body's still in the grave. And so she is, she is in glory with Jesus. But you know what? She longs to be further clothed okay she doesn't want to stay a disembodied spirit you know why because the kingdom is coming okay jesus making all things new okay he's making a new heavens and a new earth he's going to recreate everything as it's supposed to be and we're going to live in that new heavens and new earth and lizzie's like man i I don't want to miss out on that i want to be further clothed okay and then that's what paul is talking about and so he says, you know, not everybody will sleep, but everybody will be changed. Everybody will take on a new, new body, a new, uh, a new resurrection body to live in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, what will that resurrection body be like? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know that it will be like Jesus' body. Okay, we know that from several different passages. First John chapter three, verse two says, "Beloved, we are God's children now. What we what we be has not yet been appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him." And so think about what you know about Jesus' resurrection body. First of all, kind of a, I think it's kind of a cool, some of you may not, may not think it's cool, but it will in some way resemble our, our, our body now. Now some of you are like, oh man, you know, I was hoping to be 6'3". Now, I don't know exactly how that will work, but here's what I know. People recognize Jesus. Does that make sense? He has a resurrected body, but they recognized him, you know? I mean, it wasn't an octopus or, a, you know, a monster or some fundamentally different thing. No, he, they, he, he, he had a body, okay? And in fact, there were, there were scars from his former life. This, this gets really interesting. How is this going to work? But you remember what he did? He held his hands. It's Thomas. Man. Hey, put your hand in here. Put it, put it in my side. And so, so there's still a, a resemblance from his life, Okay. Now, now you're saying, oh, great, I'm going to have all my scars. I, I'm not sure about that. But I know Jesus' scars are beautiful, okay? So I know, I know he keeps those because they're glorious, all right? That's, that's the purchase price for your redemption, all right? But what I'm telling you is there's some sort of resemblance between what we have now and what is going to have, but yet fundamentally different as well, okay? Jesus has wounds. They're not bleeding, okay? I mean, he's, he's not weak in any way, okay? He doesn't hobble into, you know, hey, guys, I made it through. You know, no, 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 no. I mean, he is gloriously resurrected. In fact, he does things with his body that we can't do with ours. Remember the disciples are up in the, up in the upper room having a prayer time? Jesus comes right through the wall, okay? I mean, he just, he, I mean, his body can do things that our body cannot. He appears to them here and there and over it, you know, I mean, his body does things that ours is not able to do. So it will in some way resemble. People always ask, you know, well, will we know each other in heaven? Yeah. 
I mean, people knew who Jesus was, you know. He still had scars. So, yeah, our bodies will in some way resemble our, 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 our earthly bodies, okay. But yet without aging, without sickness, without pain, without death, without weakness, they'll be able to do things that our bodies now cannot do. And best of all, not tainted with original sin. Yeehaw on that one, right? Yes, okay. Now, how's this going to happen? Well, look at verse 52. How's it going to happen? Verse 52 tells us in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Okay. How's it going to happen? It's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Last night we were talking about this verse with my kids, my little girls, and I had them twinkle their eyes, you know, we, we, we saw how fast we could do it, you know, and that's the point of it is it's going to happen in an instant. Okay. It's not going to be, you know, five years into heaven, you finally grew your new leg and now you're working on your new arm, you know, no, 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 no. It's going to happen. Boom. Instantaneously. All right. People always ask, well, what about people that are cremated? What about people that, you know, were lost at sea? What about people that are blown up in an explosion? What about people that we're in a fire. What about, hey, listen, we are talking about the God of the universe who spoke the, the solar system into existence with a word. It's not a problem for him, okay? I mean, it's just not a problem, all right? It's going to happen in a moment. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen when Jesus comes back, okay? So, so there's, <clears throat> it's going to happen to me. And let me tell you how it's going to happen. First John 3, 2, go back there. Uh, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This principle we talk about at Lincoln quite a bit. And we talk about the principle that as we see the glory of God, we are transformed, okay? I was in church uh, most of my life from about the time I was eight. My dad was saved when he was 28. So I was about eight years old and we started going to church real faithfully. And I heard all the Bible stories. I thought I was a Christian. I wasn't. Um, when I was 18 years old, middle of the night, God worked. God just opened my eyes to see, man, Jesus is awesome. Uh, that night I committed my life to Christ. I, I put my trust in him. And what happened was I was changed. You see, as, as, I, as I caught a glimpse of who Jesus was and that I could trust him and that he died for me and that he loved me, as I caught a glimpse, as I, as I really understood that, you know what happened? I changed, okay? My desires were different. My attitude was different. My heart was different. As I saw the glory of Jesus, I was changed. Now, since then, in the last 20 years, I've come to know Jesus more and more. I've opened my Bible. I've read. I've prayed. God's revealed himself to me more and more, just like he does that for you as well. And the more I come to know Jesus, guess what happens? The more I change, okay? Now, when Jesus comes back, okay, in the second coming, as he splits those skies and we see him for who he is, what's going to happen? The sonic boom of all transformation, okay? I mean, I mean, right now we're being changed from glory to glory is the way 2 Corinthians 3.18 describes it. But then as we see him for who he is, we will be completely transformed to become like him, all right? So these are incredible truths. Let, let me just have a show of hands. How many of you are really kind of pumped up about this, all right? Huh? Yeah, excited. Some of you are not. You want to live in the old body? Okay, maybe God will let you do that. <coughs> I don't know. <coughs> We'll just be running. You'll be over there wheezing on the couch, you know. Uh, that's what you want. <clears throat> All right. Now, exciting stuff. Okay, exciting implications as well. Look at verse 58. Therefore, okay. So therefore means, all right, because of what we've just heard, because of the incredible, exciting things that we've just heard that's coming for us, therefore, that ought to stir us up to a certain thing. All right, what ought that, ought that to stir us up to? Well, therefore, my beloved brothers... 
Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay, the word steadfast means to be settled in a firmly situated course, okay? It means you are resolutely committed to a certain direction. The word immovable means you're not allowing anything to move you off of that course, okay? So these two words describe being set on a certain thing, being committed to a certain thing. Okay, what thing are we committed to here? Well, it's, it's abounding in the work of the Lord, okay? But those two words describe the fact that you are not budging from your position, Okay? My daughter Haven has this down, okay, already. She's four years old, and she's already got a lot of us beat because she is very good at being resolutely committed to a certain position, okay? The unfortunate thing is she does not always have the correct position. But she, she has it down, being steadfast, being immovable, okay? We were at the lake this last week, uh, during the middle of the week, and uh, Emma had sunscreened her all up, had her bathing suit on her. Uh, she, wanted me, she wanted to go swimming in the lake, and so... We have two life jackets. We've got one that's pretty nice that fit her to the, in her size. One is a vest one, and it fits her. It's got a little Tasmanian devil on. It's a nicer, newer one. And then we've got one of those old orange ones, you know, the kind of just, you know, real flimsy. I think it came off the Titanic. They picked it up, you know. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's old. So I put the nice one on. I'm a good dad. I put the nice one on her, get it all snapped up, tightened up, ready to go. Carry her all the way down from the picnic area, all the way to the edge of the lake. Take my shoes off. Here's what gets really rough for me because I'm a tenderfoot and it had rocks. You know, so I, you know, painstakingly make my way out into the water where I can get her out in there. You know, but as soon as we get out in the water, she says, I'm the orange life jacket. <laughs> I'm not walking back up there. And it's silly because the orange one is not as good. And I don't even know if it works, you know. No, no, honey, you know, the, you're having this life jacket. I'm the orange one, you know. No, honey, you're going to wear this, this one. This is a good one. Look at the little Tasmanian devil on it. This is the better one. You know, this is more comfortable. This is going to keep... You'll drown with that. I told you that. I said, you'll drown with that other one, you know. You, you can't have that. Aunt the orange one, you know. Okay, this thing escalates, you know. She starts throwing mega fit, all right? So I spank her right there. And then all, all around the cove where we are, there's all these people who get our cell phones. They're calling DHS, you know. She's just wailing. I mean, she just fills Table Rock Lake, you know, just, ah, the orange one, you know. She's just wailing and wailing, you know. And, and, you know, and parents, you understand this. There's some things you need to be able just to give on. You know, I get that. You know, this was not one of them. I mean, this is, she's squared off and she's just saying there's no good reason for wanting the orange one. It's all bad reasons. She's just basically saying, hey, let's see who's boss here, okay? But she is unmovable, all right? And so I'm unmovable now, you know? And I just, I just pushed back in the water. By this time, her mom had come down trying to deal with her. She's just sitting on this rock. And I just pushed out in the lake a little bit. And I said, I can stand this longer than you can, you know? I was starting to doubt after about 15 minutes of it, you know, but, but she's unmovable. Okay. She, she's taking a position and she is not budging. Okay. That's what Paul says you need to be. Okay. Not in rebellion. You don't need to be immovable in rebellion. You need to be immovable in what? Let's read it again. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay. What's Paul saying is, is we, we need to be the kind of people who do not budge from serving Jesus, who do not budge from treasuring Jesus, from honoring Jesus. We need not be people who are so easily discouraged and tossed here and there by our emotions. I mean, it, it, it's a big tendency. It, it's in all of us. I know it's in me, you know, to be the kind of person that we start out well in something and then we just poop out. Okay, we by nature are pooper outers. Okay, uh, you know every every Bible study we've ever started here at Lincoln, it always goes the same way. I mean, you guys are, you guys are going to know this. It starts out the first day of it. How many people are there? Like four hundred. You know, I mean, it's just packed. 
packed out, okay? By the fifth week, how many are there? Four. It's always four, you know? Four people. You know, they're sticking it out. You, you, you know why that is? It's not always the same four people. We trade off, you know? Uh, but, but, but by nature, we're that way, aren't we? By nature, we are not very steadfast. By nature, we're not very... How many of you make commitments to pray every day or to read the scriptures every day or to memorize scripture, you know, to, to do things like that? And what happens? Your zeal, you have a zeal leak, right? You make your commitment to the Lord. You're so excited about what's going to happen. And as you walk away, you hear the... You know, and you realize your zeal is leaking out somewhere, you know, and it's, it's just, you already got a leak and it's already springing and you're already, you're zeal. you know, Paul is saying because of what we've read here about what Christ has done in us and what he will do in the kingdom that's coming. We need to be steadfast and we need to be immovable. Okay. We need not to quit. We need not to be pulled away from, from our commitments to Jesus Christ and to serve him well. And we need to, as Paul says here, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. That word abounding it is my favorite word in this passage, all right? It's a great word. Here's the definition of it. It means to, it means to exceed the requirements, okay? So, you know, for everything there's requirements, all right? So here's the line, you know? Here's the line. To abound means you go above the line, okay? You don't, you don't do the minimum. You, you blow it out of the water. You, 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 you lavishly go beyond. You overflow. You overdo. You go overboard. That's cool when people go overboard, isn't it? My wife, she goes overboard on birthdays, you know, for our kids. You know, I mean, when, when, I, was, when I was growing up for our birthday, we got to pick like what we wanted. You know, like, mom, I want chicken fryer. I want mashed potatoes. You know, we got a cake usually and maybe grandma came over. You know, that was our birthday party. Man, my kids, you know, man, Emma goes overboard. They've got like a theme, you know, and everything's matching and he's got stuff hanging in the house and we got games all related to the theme. I mean, you know, she, she, she knows how to abound in that, right? People abound in all kinds. People abound in exercise. You know, you got folks that, that are just abounding in, in exercise. You know, how much exercise do we really need to be healthy? Well, they're here. You know, there's the line. Man, they go way above that. They're, they're running marathons and they're triathletes and they're riding their bike 30, 150 miles, whatever. You know, they're abounding, okay? We got other people, they go the other direction. They abound in eating, you know? I mean, they're, they're abounding on the other way. You know, how much do we really need to live? We need this much. We ain't stopping there, no, you know, we are, hey, drinks, man, we, in our society, we know how to abound in drinks. How many remember like when Coca-Cola first started bottling, you know, I mean, they were like, what were they like eight ounces or seven ounces, man, six ounces, six ounces. Yeah. People pull up to Sonic. Now they come out in one of those dollies, you know, and then they, they back, they open your back door, of your car and, you know, they lift the thing in, you know, it's like 94 ounces, you know, man, you got to go to the bathroom four times before you get back to work. You know I mean? I mean, that's a bounty. Have you seen those jugs that come out? They're like a cooler, you know, you can, you just save them and, you know, store meat in them and stuff. Uh, I mean, they're just, that, that's abounding, right? People go overboard in, in shopping and they go overboard in work. Man, there's guys that will work 70, 80, 90, 100 hours just week after week after week after week. They're, they're abounding. There are people that go overboard with their kids and they go overboard with Facebook and they go overboard with their sports team. Man, Pastor Chris was telling me last night that on the floor to get a Thunder ticket on the floor now, like the best tickets, what'd you say, Chris? $11,000, is that right? $11,000, you know? Some of you are hanging your head. You just bought four last night, didn't you? You know, you love the Thunder. 
But I mean, that's abounding, isn't it? I mean, I mean, it's just, just going overboard and all the way. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't abound in other things, but here's what Paul is saying. Should we not be people who abound in serving the Lord? Should we, should we look at what Jesus has done? Should we say, oh man, Christ, you, 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 you went through death and through the grave and through the wrath of God for me and you came out on the other side and you, you prepared a kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth and you're going to give me a new body and I'm going to live there in perfect harmony and enjoy and, and, and pleasure forever and ever. And because of that, Jesus, I'd like to do the minimum. And where's the line? I mean, how much, how much service do I really need to do? Just tell me. You know, if I come to VBS for 10 minutes, is that good, you know, Lord? I mean, what is the, what is the absolute minimum? That's shameful, isn't it? Isn't that shameful to, to want to do the minimum? I mean, a lot of Christians function that way. You know, it's like, man, I'm going to do the maximum with my yard. I'm going to do the maximum with my... I'm going to abound in my work, and I'm going to abound with my kids. I'm going to abound in sports. I'm going to abound in, in crocheting, and I'm going to abound in TV watching. I'm going to abound in drinks at Sonic. I'm going I'm to abound in all these things. When it comes to Jesus, though, what is the minimum? And here's what we always say, because I'm really busy. I'm abounding in everything else, so I need the minimum with the Lord. We ought to be people, because of the resurrection, who always abound in the work of the Lord. Now, the pushback on this, and I'm trying to battle with it myself, is, well, yeah, but, you know, Pastor, there's times where we need rest, Right? Times we need rest, times we need, when we need to kind of refresh, agree. I agree with that, you know. Uh, I, I feel that in my own spirit. There's times where I'm just kind of wore out. I was wore out yesterday. Um, I agree with that. But you know what I disagree with? I disagree sometimes. I don't, I don't think we really know what we're saying there. You know, sometimes I think what we, we're saying is, I need to take a rest from the work of the Lord, and I'm just going to fill my life up with all this other busy stuff. I'm not sure that's really good for our souls, is it? John MacArthur, he had a great statement. He said, more than one believer has relaxed and hobbled himself completely out of the work of the Lord. You see, I, I, think, I think sometimes we need not, we let go of this principle of because of what Christ has done, we need to abound in the work of the Lord. Always, always abounding. Two words there, always and abounding. We, we ought to always be going hard after Jesus. You know, guys like Paul, you know. I mean, here's, here's a guy who really spins himself for Jesus, doesn't he? Stoned, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, thrown in jail again and again and again. You know, who looks at the Apostle Paul today and says, man, you idiot. What were you thinking? You know, you really messed it up there. You should have rested. We don't say that. David Brainerd, missionary to the Indians in Appalachian Mountains, dies of 29 at tuberculosis. You know, David Brainerd's one of the most famous Christians in the history of Christendom. Nobody says, man, Brainerd, what'd you do that for? That was really silly. I guess what I'm saying is we admire all these other guys. So how can we tell ourselves and what I need is to throttle back? And, and again, sometimes there is a place for saying, you know what? And, and I agree with this. Sometimes there's a place for saying, you know what, pastor, I'm not going to help with this ministry. Instead, what I'm going to do is really commit that time to prayer. I'm going to commit that time to Build some relationships with some folks. I'm going to commit that time to, you know, just really stay in this. Great. Awesome. That'll, that'll refresh your soul. You'll be better before, okay? But I don't, I don't know that there's a whole lot of a place for, I'm going to throttle back on the Lord's work and throttle ahead in some other stuff, you know, and that's going to refresh me. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. And here, here's, what, here's what Paul says. He says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? 
Because, because of this principle. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, now first of all, notice this, labor, okay? I, I looked that word up. I was really disappointed in the definition. Here's what it says. Work that results in pain and agony, okay? Wow, great. Strenuous exertion, okay? That, that was another, okay? Well, you know what that tells me? Folks, it's hard to live the Christian life. Yes? Yes, it's hard to live the Christian life. It's hard to fight against our own sin. It's hard to battle addictions and ingrained habits. It's hard to be consistent in prayer. It's hard to faithfully intercede for others. Man, I feel that. It's hard, to, it's hard to strengthen the faith of other people. That's not an easy thing. It's hard to have spiritual conversations. It's hard to, it's hard to train your teenage kids in the things of God. That's a hard thing. It's, it's hard. It's labor to, to practically meet the needs of others. It's labor to study the Bible. It's labor to memorize scripture. It's labor to maintain Christ-centered friendships. It's labor to care for people's souls. All of that is labor, okay? And notice what Paul says knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, he says, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay? When your labor is in the Lord. There are other types of labor that are in vain. Okay? I mean, that, that's just a reality. There are other ways that you can invest your life and spend yourself and give your energy and exert yourself that really are in vain. There's, there's, there's a history full of, print, of, of stories about that. Adolf Hitler gave his life for Nazi Germany. I mean, just poured it out. Was it in vain? Every minute of it, okay? I mean, it did nobody any good. It didn't do Germany good. It didn't do his people good. It didn't do his army good. It didn't do the world good. It was an absolute tragedy and wicked disaster. Okay, so there's a whole lot of things you can give your life to that are in vain. Let's, let's, let's talk to the master of, of vanity. Let's, let's, let's hear from Solomon, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Listen to what he says. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. Solomon had his own Vegas right there in, in Jerusalem. Many concubines, sexual pleasure, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Can you imagine that? Here's a guy that whatever he lays his eyes on, whatever he wants, he gets. Okay. Well, you and I, that didn't work that way, right? This guy, what, literally whatever he looked at and said, I want that, he got it, okay? He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You and I don't get that chance. We just get to hear from Solomon. You know what you and I get? You and I are on the treadmill still, right? We, we're still thinking, if only I had this, right? If only we had this little nicer this, and if only we had this little more here, and if only we got this here, and if only I had this relationship, and if only I had that. And you know what happens? We get some of that, right? We get some of that, but we're still hungry. We're still unfulfilled. And so we're thinking, well, the reason is because I just need a little more, right? And I just need a little more. And most of us will live our whole lives on that treadmill. Here's a guy who God actually enabled, said, okay, 
okay. You can have whatever you want. He got it all. He did it all. He experienced it all. He gets to the end of it. And you know what he says? Man, that wasn't it. You see, there's a lot of things you can give your life to that are vain. But man, here is one thing that's not guaranteed. I like a guarantee. You guys like a guarantee? I love it. I love it when I can have a guarantee for something, okay? I can have a guarantee that this will not be in vain. That my labor for the Lord, that abounding in the work of the Lord, that giving myself to the work of Jesus Christ right now in the, in the kingdom, that doing that will not be in vain. In vain means to no good end. It means it doesn't accomplish what we hope. It means it does not deliver. The investment doesn't have a good return. In northwest Oklahoma, it's like drilling a dry hole. Okay, you guys been a part of that? Uh, I, I said like millions in the first service. I think I said, you know, you know, there are people that spend $5 million to drill a well. And, well, guys came out, you know, after, after the service, and they said, $5 million, that ain't going to cut it, you know. And it's more like $12 million. And another guy said, $22 million. We spent, you know. And so they've been a part of companies that have done this. You know, but can you imagine that? You know, you, you, you spend, you know, $20 million, $15 million, you know, drilling a hole to get oil. And at the end, it was vain. There wasn't anything but rock or sludge or whatever. Now you got a really long hole is what you got, you know, for $15 million. That's, that's in vain. And listen, here's the deal. Nobody does that on purpose. Now, people do that on accident. There's risk in life. That's just part of business. But nobody does that on purpose. Nobody says, hey, we've done some seismographic checks and there is no oil or gas under here. Let's spend $15 million drilling. Nobody does that. So here you got a sure thing, my friends. You've got a sure investment here that, that abounding, lavishly, running hard in the kingdom of God, serving Christ, that will not be in vain. God will be glorified. You will live out your purpose. The reason for which you're breathing is to glorify God. And if you're serving the Lord hard, that's not going to be in vain. Your soul will be satisfied. Lives will be changed. God's word will accomplish what it, what it intends in, uh, on accomplishing. And then let's also connect this. Let's, let's not take it out of its passage. But in the context of the chapter here, there is a direct connection to this labor for the Lord with what? The resurrection of the body. Okay? And so, so Jesus is drawing a connection. And what he's saying is, you will have a good investment on your, uh, uh, you'll have a good return on your investment in the next life. By serving the Lord right now. Listen to the way Jesus says it, okay? Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. My friends, it is possible. Jesus tells us right here, it is possible that when you serve the Lord right now today, that that is bringing about a return, an investment, that's going to bear fruit in the new heavens and the new earth. That's exciting to me. You say, well, but I can't do much. Great. No problem. Matthew 10, 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones, it's a believer, even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You know what the whole cup of cold water is about? It's about the simplest thing you can do in the kingdom. That, that's, that's the point of that. Paul, Jesus is saying, look, you, the, the smallest act, the smallest gesture of kindness, of meeting a need, of ministry in the kingdom of God, there's going to be investment for that. There's going to be a reward for that. Isn't that cool? I'm excited about it. 
Matthew 25, 21. Listen to this. This is about the parable of the talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. My friends, there's a direct connection between our service for Christ now and our joy in the days to come. I think there's a direct connection right now. Like our, my service for Jesus now and my joy now. Isaiah 58, 10 and 11 tells us that. We won't read it. But, but I think what this passage is telling us is, man, the good days are coming. The good days are not behind. We always talk about the good old days. No, 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 no. They're coming. They're coming. We just, the older we get, our memory gets bad and we distort what happened, you know. They're coming. The good days are coming. And, and we ought to abound in serving the Lord. And that grips me. Always abounding. I want to be that. I want to always abound. I want to always run hard in serving Jesus. Knowing, knowing, by faith knowing, your labor will not be in vain. Sure thing. Father, I thank you for uh, giving us this promise. I thank you for the new heavens and the new earth. I thank you, Jesus, that uh, we're going to have new bodies with which to uh, do all kinds of incredible stuff we probably can't imagine. God, I thank you that, um, Lord, that there's a glorious future ahead. God, help us to serve you now. Help us, Lord, not to be moved, not to be deterred from from God, what you want us to do, from our position of service and loving you and seeking you. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to be immovable. God, help us to abound in your work. In Jesus' name, amen.